me to Luke chapter number 15 tonight, Gospel of Luke chapter number 15. It's been good to be in church this evening, and I sure appreciate you being here and being faithful. I thought about this. Not everybody necessarily has to do it our way, but everybody has to do it God's way. And uh, that's what we're trying to do the best we can is to do it God's way. And I like it. I enjoy it. And I like it when we go to church and God meets with us. Isn't that good? I mean, a lot of folks will go to church and they'll have a service. They'll go through the motions of it. They'll check everything off of their list that they're supposed to do that night and go to the house. And never, ever is God scheduled in on that thing. But I appreciate those testimonies. Sometimes those testimonies will do more for you than anything else in the whole service. And I like to hear what God's been doing for you. But it helps me because, you know, I can say, you know what, amen to that. God does that for me as well. And I appreciate that. It's been good uh, to be in church tonight. I travel a lot. And when you drive, especially like places like this and other areas like where I'm from, you get in these places where you don't get cell phone service. You want to know what's the most annoying thing? Whenever you're driving and you, you don't have any cell phone service. And you just drive for a while, and then after you drive far enough, you'll get back into cell phone service. But there is a name for that little area. You know what that's called? It's called a dead spot. And as you travel and you get in a dead spot, nothing's as depressing as getting stuck in a dead spot. You get in a dead spot, and you know what happens? You can't get any communication in, and you can't send any communication out when you get into a dead spot. And I thought about that. There's a lot of Christians that suffer through the entirety of their Christian life, and they are stuck in a dead spot. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm glad we're not in a dead spot, aren't you? And I'm glad God is speaking to us, and I'm glad that we can uh, let our voice be heard as well. And I'm tonight that God will help us uh, with the truth that he's laid on my heart for this evening. I've been honored to be with you these days, and I'll be honest, it's really hard to believe that it's already Thursday, and it feels like we just got started, and uh, that we uh, are just getting this thing going, but that's a good thing. I've been some places and uh, been there for uh, maybe a day, and felt like I was there for a month. Kind of like right now, y'all. Are, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, and then I've been some places for a week and felt like I was there for a day. And it's good when it goes by quick because God's been meeting with us. And I want God to meet with us again tonight. And I, I'll tell people, not every service has to be the same. But we want God to meet with us every service. And I'm praying tonight this message will be a help to you. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And very familiar text and very familiar story. But I want us to see it. It's good to have folks visiting with us. And I appreciate that. Brother Joshua, thank you for coming. I appreciate that. Brother Joe Motes and your dad, thank you for being here. And I know there's others as well. And I really appreciate that you'd come and be with us in the house of God. I want to see God do something this day. And I want to see God help churches and strengthen Christians. And I believe the Lord's coming soon. And it'd be good to go out with a shout. When we hear him shout, we ought to be shouting back. Amen. And I'm praying God will do it for us. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And let me say this, every moment that you live outside of God's will is wasted. I don't care if you've got a bigger house there, a nicer car there, make more money there. You're wasting your life if you are not in God's will. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? 
I'll arise and go to my father. And I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his, I like that because he interrupts his speech. He doesn't even let him get it all out. He's like, wait a minute, that's enough. Let me. But the father said to his servant, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. I know that you know this story. If you've been in church at all, you've heard it referenced. I want to show you something that God used to speak to my heart as I studied this familiar parable. There's a younger boy that goes to his father, demands everything that is rightfully his, but he asks for it at the wrong time. You can get in a lot of trouble getting a hold of the right thing at the wrong time. And he takes that and he runs with it to a far country and he does what any person does when they're out of the will of God. He wastes it all. He's empty. He's ravaged. He's broken. He's shamed. But one day, oh happy day, the delusion of his backsliding lifts. The fog, if you will, lifts in his life. He sees himself for what he is. He sees himself because of what he's done, where he stands, and he says, you know what? This isn't all it's cut out to be. This isn't as good as they told me it's going to be. He said, I remember how good it was back there. He said, there was better food back there. I had more love back there. I had a house to live in back there. My father was so good to me, and he makes the right decision. He doesn't have to stay where he's at. Thank God for that. He rises up and begins to go home. Now, here's what he does. He said, I've got to tell him something. He said, when I go home, I'm going to tell my father, Father, I've sinned, and I'm not worthy to be your son. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. The worth of a prodigal from the father's perspective. I want to preach on the worth of a prodigal from the father's perspective. And tonight, if that is you and you are away from God, or if you have a prodigal in your life, someone you know, I want us to flip the script a little bit and quit looking at them from our vantage point and what we know. And I want us to step, if we can, onto holy ground and see one like that from the perspective of their father. Let's pray. God, please help me. I pray that you'd help people tonight. God, you know the need of every heart. I do not, but I'll trust you to meet it. I pray for power to preach. God, I sure do need that. I pray, God, that you'd help us to have a supernatural service. And uh, whatever that means, I just just want you to have your fingerprint upon it. It sure would be good to see a prodigal come home tonight. Be good for some of us who have prodigals just to have faith enough in you that you uh, can bring them home. I pray that you'd meet the need in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach on a topic tonight that I believe touches every one of us. It either touches you personally, and it's you, or it'll touch you distantly, somebody that you know. I would say every one of us at one point or another has played the role of a prodigal. Here's what I know about being a prodigal. Being a prodigal has nothing to do really with where you are physically, not at first. But it has everything to do with where you stand spiritually. 
By that I mean you can even be in the house of God yet a million miles from the heart of God. We think being a prodigal is being out on a bar store in a jail cell or on the street corner or on the couch watching television. And no doubt that is, if you're saved, you ought not be doing a lot of those things. But I know this, it is possible to be a prodigal and be a preacher. It is possible to be a prodigal and sing in a choir. It is possible to be a prodigal and be a tither. It is possible to be a tither and look right and be in the right place. And yet your heart is not where it ought to be with God. You say, how do you know that's true? Because I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And you don't do that well at hiding it yourself. All of us know what that is. That's why the hymn writer made the statement, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And all of us Daily have to fight the tendency of our flesh to be tugged back toward a far country and away from the heart of our heavenly father. So I want you to think tonight about that thought, the prodigal's worth from the perspective of his father. Have you ever heard the phrase before, it all depends upon how you look at it? That's a common phrase. And what it means is that somebody can look at something and somebody else can look at the same thing and two of them can come away with very different opinions. They have different values. They have different, uh, different perspectives. They have different information. And they collect all of that data, if you will, and it forms their outlook, their perspective on whatever it is that we're looking at. I want you to think about that word perspective. Perspective is a very powerful thing. Perspective is made up of experience. It's made up of information. It's made up of ideals. It's made up of opinions. And you take all of those things together, mix them in a pot, pour it out, and it forms your perspective. That is how two people, I said, can look at the same thing and come away with two very different Opinions. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you married, right? Good. Uh, it's like this. One man will say that glass is half full and another will say that glass is half empty. Perspective is not so much about what you're looking at. It is about how you see what you're looking at. Let me say it again. Perspective is not so much about what you're looking at. It is about how you see what you're looking at. For example, where I would see a lump of clay, the potter sees a beautiful vessel. Where I see an old broken piece of rock, a sculptor sees a beautiful statue. Where I see a hunk of wood, the artisan sees a piece of furniture. So I'm not talking about what you're looking at. I'm talking about how you see what you're looking at. And tonight, sometimes it can be hard for us to comprehend that God does not always see things the way you and I might see things. How many of you are happy tonight that God doesn't always see things the way that we do? Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I I'm glad tonight that God doesn't always see things uh, the way that I might see things. You know, tonight to the world, Noah's family looked like they were burdened to build the ark. But from God's perspective, they were blessed to get to build the ark. From the world's perspective, Joseph's life was pretty bad. But from God's perspective, he was working it together for his good. To the world, David looked like he was too small to lead. But from God's perspective, he was a man 
man after his own heart. From the world's perspective, Calvary looked like a scene of tragedy. But from God's perspective, it was a scene of great triumph. You see, from God's perspective, it might look hopeless to us, but God can see hope. It might look over to us, and God said, that's a comma, there's more to the story. It might look too hard for us, and God said, I think that I can make a way. The Red Sea doesn't look all that difficult to God. The walls of Jericho aren't all that difficult to God. Goliath is not all that big to God. Herod is not all that powerful to God. And I'm glad that God doesn't always see things the way you and I might see things. Now I know tonight we all have known a prodigal. We know somebody who is saved and they're not in the will of God. And there might even be some of us who are the prodigal. We know what it is to drift and stray and distance ourselves from the God who saved us and the God who loves us. We know what it is to get dirty in the world. Maybe you know what it is to be wrapped up in some sin. You know what it is to cry yourself to sleep at night. You know what it is to feel the heartache and the heartbreak and the sorrow that comes from having somebody who's wandered out of the fold. And here's what we do. Often we will cast our judgment and we will level our opinion and we will give our diagnosis and we have our own idea of the worth or value of the prodigal. But here's what I want to do tonight. I want us to take off our crooked halos, take off our wings and lay them to the side, remove our shoes and step on the holy ground. And I want us to look and consider the prodigal, not from your perspective and not from my perspective, but from the perspective of the heavenly father. Now tonight, I know we know the story of the prodigal son. It's probably one of the most well-known parables in your Bible. In fact, if you study Luke 15, the entirety of the chapter is fairly famous. It's a chapter about discovering and recovering things that have been lost. The chapter begins with the story of a lost sheep. This shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them is lost. The shepherd leaves 99 to go recover the one lost sheep. When he brings that lost sheep home, they have a party. Then there's another story. There's a woman with 10 pieces of silver. She loses one piece of silver. She sweeps and searches until she finds it. When she finds that one piece of silver, they have a party. And then there's a story at the end of one man who has two sons. One of those sons is lost out in the world. But happy day, happy day when that son finds his way home. When they do, they just call time out to shout and they have a party. I thought about this. How much more should we shout over a son than a sheep or son than silver? It is a bad thing when you lose a sheep and it might be a bad thing when you lose silver. But I tell you, it's devastating to lose a son. Can you imagine the rejoicing on that day when that boy walked home tattered and battered by the world and came back to his father? Now I want you to consider the story with me just for a moment. The Bible said that there's this certain man that has two sons. Now, if we were to consider this story, I think we would say that the father in this story is the best father that any son could ever ask for. I would say you'd never find a father like this father. He's a gracious father. He's a giving father. And he's a good father. He provides their every need. He loves them unconditionally. He's made sure they have everything they need to advance in life. Every other family in town probably had children that envied those two boys 
boys. They probably thought, I wish their father was our father. There's no father like him. Not only is he the best father, but he has the best house. I'm talking about they probably had the finest place to live. They probably had the best food on their table. They had the nicest clothes on their back. They had the most plush pillow to lay their head on at night. They had the biggest, nice room. They had a way to serve on that farm and make a living. I mean, everything was at their fingertips. If you were going to choose a father, you'd want that father. If you were going to choose a house to live in, you'd want that house. But the unthinkable happens. One day, the younger son comes to his father and he gets wrapped up in himself. There's too much I and me in that verse. He comes to his father and he said, Father, give me, I pray thee, thy portion of goods that falleth to me. Now watch this. Here's the recipe to create a prodigal. It starts out with a low evaluation of his father. He goes to his father and he said, Father, I'd much rather have what you can give me than to have you. I'd rather just have the blessing. I could take or leave you. And he said, Daddy, I want my inheritance. Now wait a minute. For that boy to do that, it was as though he is reckoning himself dead to the father and his father dead to him. He said, Daddy, in my heart, you're dead to me and I want you to think that I'm dead to you. I want what's coming to me and I want it now. Can I say that's always the first part of the progression in creating a prodigal. They get a low view of God and a high view of themselves. They take it for granted how good God's been. They take it for granted how much He loves and cares and they try to get a hold of what's coming to them at the wrong time. They say, I could take or leave the church. I could take or leave the prayer closet. I could take or leave the folks who care about me. I just want to go do my own thing out in the world. He had a low evaluation of his father and that low evaluation led to an exodus from the farm. He gets what's coming to him. He gets all of those goods. He liquidates the assets and the first thing he does is he heads to the world. What I hate about that is it proves this. The far country was in his heart before his body ever made it there. He must have been thinking about it. He must have been looking toward it. He must have been longing for it and it didn't take him long to get there. That always happens. You might be a prodigal in a pew for a while, but if you don't get that thing right, I promise you there'll be a day where we can't find you at the house of God. You'll no longer be here hiding behind the shout and smile. You'll be out there somewhere in this world. It always starts that way. It's a slippery slope when you stray from the heart of God. That boy runs out to the world and he begins to live in excess out there in the world. He had that low evaluation. He went and took that exodus from the farm. Finds himself in the far country and begins to revel in excess. He's got everything at his fingertips. He's got money in his pockets. He's got friends at his side. Every girl wants to be on his arm. He's got parties to attend. He's living it up out there in the world. And let me say that's exactly how it is for a time when you get out there in the world. The Bible said there's pleasure in sin for a season. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that the flesh really does enjoy the things of this world. And it was fun for a while. He was drinking his booze and smoking his joints and kissing strange lips, dancing to the world's beat, living it up there. I mean, the talk of the far country. Oh, but then there's an emptiness that comes. The Bible said that man begins to be in want. There's a day when the money runs out. There's a day when the booze is gone. There's a day when the friends have left because here's what he discovered. They didn't want him anymore. Now that he can't buy their beer, now that he can't buy their smoke, now that he doesn't have what they need, they throw him off to the side. Look at that boy, if you will. He's alone now. 
He's bankrupt and barren. He's got nothing any longer. That's exactly, now listen to me, that's exactly what the world will do to you, child of God. I don't care if they post it and make it look good. I don't care if they brag about their sin. I don't care if they paint on a fake smile and tell you that you're in some cult somewhere when they go home and they sit in the loneliness of that house. Their own conscience bears witness against them that they are empty now. They are wrecked now. They are ravaged now. There's nothing in the world for the child of God. You might have it by the tail, but it'll come back get you by the throat and you'll find yourself one day with no friends and fanfare, no finances, no testimony, no love in your heart and guilt on your life and shame that haunts you every step of the journey. Can I say tonight it's not worth it to lift anchor and sail from the ship of Zion back to this world. Shall I go back into this world? No, not I, not I. And I'll say there's nothing but waste for the child of God in the world. That boy gets so low down that he throws out every bit of principle his father would have instilled in him as a Jewish young man. That's what blows my mind. And I'm going to, it gets good after it gets bad. So bear with me. That's what blows my mind is the depths of prodigalism that God's people can be driven to if we're not careful. Shacking up. Drunkard. I mean, just cussing the things of God. And they've been taught better than that. But when you get out into the world, that is a quicksand that's hard to stay your head above. I mean, just it's something that grabs a hold of you and you never have, know how far down you're going to go when you get out of God's will. And this boy yokes up just to try to make the ends meet. He's got no money now. His clothes are worn and tattered. Every friend is gone. And he finds a citizen of the far country. That is a man who is at home there. That is a man whose worldview is their worldview. Everything about him is far country. That's exactly what the world does though they'll pull that Christian in just like a slave in Pharaoh's brickyard the world will have you making bricks for the glory of the world and here's that far country man he said I tell you what son I'll send you out in my fields to feed swine now here's what I hate that boy knew better than that he was raised better than that his daddy's name was better than that he had better ideals and values and principles than that but that's the lunacy the insanity of drifting from God he goes out into that pigsty and he begins to slop those hogs. He's slopping hogs like a far country man would. He smells like pigs. He looks like pigs. And after a while he has an appetite like a pig. He's down there on that mire. And he looks at those pigs eating that slop. And as he sees them eating those husks and all that nasty stuff the hogs that eat, his belly begins to growl. His appetite's perverted because he's been out in the world so long. And he looks at those husks and thinks, man, I'd like to have a little bit of that. And I like the Holy Ghost. I'm thinking God for conviction, don't you? I thank God for the Holy Ghost. I thank God for that that training. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he, I think he might have heard the, the voice of his father. Maybe he heard the teaching of the Sunday school teacher. Maybe he heard the cry of the preacher. And as that husk was about to touch down on his lips, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost lifted the fog in his life. He saw clearly and looked at himself and thought, oh my soul, I've been raised better than this. I've been taught better than 
this. My daddy be ashamed to find me here. And he looked around and thought, this ain't the place for me. And the Bible said that he comes to himself and he makes a decision. It is time for me to head back home. And here's what that boy does as he rises up from the mire with that black slime falling off of him to the ground. He looks around and said, here's what I'm going to say. I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now watch the phrase. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now I want you to see that phrase. No more worthy. You know what that means? The word worthy means something that possesses adequate merit or value. Something that deserves attention or affection. What the son is saying is, now I believe I have no value. Now I believe I have no merit. Now I believe I do not deserve the love of my Father, what he's saying is I used to, but now I do not. Now let me say in one sense, he is right. He had lived in such a way and talked in such a way and acted in such a way that I agree with him. He was not worthy to be a son of his father. But what bothers me about that is this. He must have had it in his brain that at one point he had been worthy of being a son of the father. I think he must have looked at how he lived before and how he acted before and what he was doing before and thought now back there at the house I deserved every bit of what came in my life. I deserved his love. I deserved his care. I deserved his affection. And here's what happened. He had based his worth on his performance and he based his worth on his purity and he based his worth on his practices but now he's got a new perspective because even the prodigal knows now man my purity is gone. My practices are horrible. My performance is perverted. I know where I've held my, I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know what I've seen. I know how I've thought. I know how I've acted. And now, if not ever before, I don't deserve to be a son of the Father. I know the lips I've kissed. I know the words I've said. I know the drinks I've drunk. I know the evil thoughts that I've thought. I know the parties I've attended. I know the sins I've committed and surely now I don't deserve to be a son. Now wait, I used to deserve it though. I mean there was a day I deserved it. When I worked at the farm I deserved it. When I sat at the table I deserved it. When I slept in his bed I deserved it. When I was there by his side I deserved it. Now listen that boy's right in one way and wrong in another way. He did not deserve to be a son by his action by his deeds and by his decision and even that boy knew that. The scope of his offense was wide. The severity of his offense was great. The season of his offense was long. He knew where he'd been. He knew what he'd done. He knew what he'd seen. And all that goes into the pot of his perspective. Pours it out and now he thinks, I don't deserve God. I don't deserve my father. I'm not worthy. A lot of prodigals never come home. Because I got the wrong perspective. I can see as that boy rises up. I really want to just get to the next part because I know where I'm going and you know too. And I'm just, that boy rises up and he feels all the guilt and all the shame. I mean, he's lived it, man. It's not like he heard about it. He was the one involved in it. 
And he rises up with that heavy burden on his shoulders, ashamed of what he's done, knowing he's got a better upbringing and father than that. And he rises up and begins that long trip back home. As he rises up, the muck from the pig pen falls off of him. The blackness and filth stains his garments. He looks like a beggar that has no father. He looks like a man who's been ravaged by the far country. And as he rises up, he has the stench of the pig pen on him. He has the sight of the pig pen on him. He's got the scars of the far country in his life. And as he rises up, all them other fellas there, oh my, they begin to look at him and say, wait a minute, son, where do you think you're going? He said, well, I'm going back to my father. They say, you can't go back to your father. We know where you've been. We know what you've done. You've been slopping with us. You've been cussing with us. You've been drinking with us. You've sat at our tables. You've attended our parties. I'm telling you, you know who you are. You're just like us in every respect. And maybe he said, I know I am, but this ain't the place for me. It's time I go back home and all my I can see is that boy rises up he begins to walk and he said here's what I'm going to do I'm going to go home and say daddy I don't deserve it I'm not worthy just let me be a hired servant now that phrase means this he's saying put me to work on your behalf and let me earn back everything I lost let me try to labor for your love let me try to work for your favor let me try to earn your goodness that's an audacious statement isn't it I can see as he goes back home all of a sudden the birds begin to sing out you're unworthy all of a sudden the wind begins to blow he's unworthy as his feet thump the ground they thunder out he's unworthy maybe there's some old broken beggar on the side of the road and they see that boy shamed and bent over mud all over his clothes that beggar says I don't know who he is but I know this that boy looks unworthy maybe there's some lady of the night at the corner of the road and she said I don't know who that boy is but I know this he looks unworthy maybe there's some old lepers cast out of the city there on the road as he makes it back and they say boy that fellow's in a mess to us he looks unworthy maybe his own conscience told him as he made his way back home you're unworthy every breath that he breathed every beat in his heart every twist and turn on the trail it just reminded him he is unworthy everybody he passed every passing moment unworthy 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 and if you were to jump in the bucket of the perspective of the majority and then pour it out they'd all say unworthy I'm talking about every day would say unworthy. Every Sunday school teacher would say unworthy. Every preacher would say unworthy. Every Christian would say unworthy. Every Pharisee would sing out unworthy. We know where he's been. We know what he's done. We know what, how he's acted. We know where he's been at. He is unworthy. But here's what I want to do. Let's flip the script for a minute. Let's pivot for just a minute. Perspective is not so much about what you're looking at. It's about how you see what you're looking at. So far we've seen that boy from our low vantage point but I want to see him through the lens of his father because you'll find in this story a lot of things change. A lot of things are different. A lot of things take place but there's one thing that stays the same. There's one thing that never changes. There's one thing that abideth faithful and you'll find the favor and perspective of the father is the same in the outset as it is at the conclusion. There's one thing that's steadfast and sure. There's one thing that never wavers. There's one thing that remains the same. It doesn't change from start to end. It is the Father's love for His Son. He doesn't ask about your perspective. He doesn't worry about the other's perspective. He doesn't care about what happened out there. When He sees His Son, He's just glad to have Him home. He loves Him. But wait a minute. He loves Him the same way that He'd always loved Him. He loved Him before He was conceived. He loved Him at His first birthday. 
faith. He loved him as a toddler in his home. He loved him as a young child. He loved him in his teenage years. He loved him with every heartbeat. He loved him with every breath. He loved him with every meal. He worked to provide for him. He put the clothes on his back and loved him. He snuck in his room and prayed over him as he slept as a child at night. He loved him then. But I'm glad he loved him today. You'll find the son had strayed, but his father was faithful. He kept the bedroom ready. He kept the table spread. He kept watch for that boy from afar. His father wasn't dead to him. He wasn't dead to the father. He tried to kill him, but he found out you can't kill that kind of love. The father's perspective does not change. Now, wait a minute. The boy was right in one sense. He was not worthy of the father. But can I say there's a big difference in being worthy of the father and being worthy to the father. One of them things you'll never be and one of them things you cannot not be. He was never worthy of the father. There was never a day he deserved that kind of love. He couldn't have plowed enough to earn it. He couldn't have paid enough to earn it. He couldn't have stayed enough to earn it. He couldn't have loved enough to earn it. That father didn't love that boy on his purity. He didn't love that boy on his performance. He didn't love that boy because of his practices. He loved that boy because he's his parent. Oh my, he's in my blood. He's in your veins. My name is on your life. My family is your family. I loved you then and I love you still. I don't see the scars. I don't see the stain. I don't smell the stench. I just see my son and I loved you before and I love you now. I wonder how many of God's people never make it back to God's house because we look at ourselves from our own perspective. We know where we've been. We know what we are. We know what we've done and then we cast our judgment at others. We know who they are. We know where they've been. We know what they've done. Well tonight if we take off our halo and let God be God and look to the telescope of eternity we'd see something very different. I'm glad God doesn't look on me as some straying prodigal out there in the slop. He sees a son with the imputed righteousness of Christ that's been wrapped around me and I never did earn his love. I never deserved his love. I never merited his love. I was never good enough for his love. He doesn't love me because of what I do. He loves me because of what Jesus did. He doesn't love Justin because of Justin. He loves Justin because of Jesus. And here it is tonight. You say, I can never get back. I can never come home. That's the devil talking to you. That's a bad perspective. If God could call you tonight, he'd say this. I love you now like I loved you then. I loved you before you were born. I loved you at your first birthday. I loved you as a small child. I loved you growing up in your father's house. I loved you with every meal on the table. I loved you with every night you got some sleep. I loved you when you were out of the wheel. And I loved you when you were in the wheel. I love you today. I love you yesterday. And I'll love you forever. Yea, hath I loved thee with an everlasting love. Here's what I'm afraid we think. We think there was a day we tied up a tie and God had to love us. We put on a suit and God had to love us. We wore our dress and God had to love us. And then the day came we fell into sin. We made a mistake. We drifted from his will. And now we're defeated. Now we're depressed. Now we feel second rate and we never get right. That is the wrong perspective. You're looking at yourself through your own merit and your own value. He was always filthy rags. It is Jesus and him alone that makes us worthy. The father didn't see the bad decision. He saw the son. He didn't see the scars. He saw the son. He didn't see the mud. He saw the son. 
Yeah, he's still broken, bankrupt, bitter, but he was his boy. He was dirty and low down, but he was still his boy. He'd hurt him and broken his heart, brought heaviness to the family, but he was still his boy. He slandered and strayed and sinned and sunk low, but he was still his boy. He wasn't worthy of him, but he was worthy to him because he was his son. (laughs) I wonder how many people there are. They just never get it right because they are looking at this from the wrong perspective. God doesn't love you based on performance or purity or practices and we're for all those things being right. But that is not why God loves you. God loves you because of Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. You say, well, I wish I'd come home but folks are looking at Their perspective doesn't matter. Well, I'd like to go back, but they all know where I've been. Yeah. And we all know about us, too. Right. We all know where we've been. We know where you've been. Everybody knows about everything. We all gossip about each other anyway. So I can't go back here. I mean, they don't des- they'll say this. They don't deserve to sing in the choir. They don't deserve to teach the class. They don't deserve to shout. They don't deserve to, 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 to smile in the pew. They don't deserve to drop in the house of God. Here's what I'd say. You didn't get me in, and so that means you can't keep me out. God's the one who got me in this thing. I'm not in this thing because of you. I'm in this thing because I got saved. And here's what I know. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. None of us have it made. None of us are, are, are Jesus here tonight. All of us are sinners saved by grace. And the sad thing is every once in a while we get out of God's will. And all I'm trying to preach is this. If that is you, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to live outside the camp. You don't have to dwell in the far country. You don't have to come back and be a second class citizen. You can come home tonight and we'll have a party. I mean, if we can have a party over silver and a party over a sheep, certainly we'd have a party over a son. Oh my, you, you know that old story about that boy had a fallen out with his family and he left home. I love that story. And the mama called that boy and said, son, would you just come home for Christmas? And he said, mama, I want to come home, but I don't think daddy'd let me. And she said, I think he'll forgive you. I think he'll let you. Would you just come home? And he said, I just don't know. And she said, just come home. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll get a ticket, ride the train. And he said, if you will, he said, Daddy will forgive me and let me come home. If you'll just tie a white rag or something in that tree. He said, I'll know when I see that white rag in that tree that I can come home. That boy was nervous. He bought himself a ticket and one for his friend. They boarded that train and set off toward his old home place where he hadn't been in years. That boy had his own perspective because he knew what he'd done, where he'd been, how he treated his father. And from his perspective, he understood, I don't deserve to go home. I don't deserve to have his love. And he thought, there's no way he'll welcome me back. And those boys began to ride down the road. And when they did, they got close to that tree. And that boy said, I can't even stand to look. He told his friend, he said, why don't you look for me? And let me know if there's a white rag in that tree. He said, if there's a white rag in that tree, it means I can go home again. And and that boy shut his eyes and bowed his head. And his friend began to look. He said, tell me, is there a white rag in that tree? He said, no. There's not a white rag in that tree. That boy said, there's no white rag in that tree. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, there's hundreds of white rags in that tree. He said, every branch has a white rag in it. He said, I think to me, it looks like you can go back home. And what I'm saying tonight is this. If you're away from God, it's because you want to be at this point because you don't have to be. You can come back tonight. There was a tree planted for us on a hill called Calvary and something better than old rag was hanging on that. There's the precious Son of God that was nailed to that tree for you and I. And as he stretched out his arms, he stretched out an arm to God and one to sinful man. And when he cried, it is finished, he 
reconciled us back to God. And now Calvary's our statue of liberty, if you will. It is our sign to come on home. It's the welcome mat to the house of God. And if you have strayed tonight, if you find yourself afar off, all I'm saying is you can come home if you want to. And by the way, nobody's going to say anything negative about you if they are right with God. Because we will rejoice. And let me close and say this. Being a prodigal does not mean you're smoking, drinking, shacking up. It just means your heart has drifted from his heart. It's not about where you are physically because all of us tonight are here. It's more about where you are spiritually. And tonight, if you've gotten far away from God... You can come on home. And if you have a prodigal tonight, don't you give up on them. You give up on your prodigal. You just gave up on a person. And as long as God is alive, there's hope for that person. Your son, your daughter, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor. Tonight we ought to maybe line an altar and pray for people that we know right now who are not here. Or maybe it's us who need to come and just get right. And maybe it's not that you're way out in the world, but just your heart's not right with God. I'm going to pray this altar is open. I pray you wouldn't tarry, but if God spoke to your heart that you'd just come. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. You know the need. I don't know the need like you do. I pray that you'd meet the need tonight. If there be one here tonight that's away from God, I pray they'd come home. All these families here that are hurting over a prodigal, I pray that you'd give them help tonight. Please move in Jesus' name. Let's stand on our feet if you would. Altars are open. Brother Sam, just whenever you're ready. If God spoke to your heart tonight, would you come talk to the Lord about that? What about it tonight? If God spoke to your heart, if you need some help, you just step out. Come and let God help you this evening. Softly and As he sings, this altar is open. What about